0: Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. You can have a seat before Miss Kathy takes the kids back to Kids Church. Um, I've asked her and Billy to come and to light our uh, Advent candle for the morning. Um, Billy, take off. Did he run (laughs) over? Oh, there he is. Okay. So uh, this morning we light our uh, we we light the third candle, which is the rose colored or or the pink candle, and that is uh, so far we've we've lit the uh, the hope can or the hope candle, the first Sunday of Advent. Last week we lit, we lit the peace candle, and this morning we light the third candle, that is the candle of joy. And um, as we uh, get closer and closer to celebrating the the birth of Christ Jesus on um, december twenty fifth um, out of the the book of Isaiah we, we read a little bit about the joy that, that Christ will bring and in isaiah sixty five eighteen it says uh, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating for I'm about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight and then, of course later in the New Testament Paul will tell us that joy is one of what he would call the fruits of the Spirit, something that should be present in the life of a believer. And so this morning we celebrate the joy of Christmas. And in so doing, uh, we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 15. So um, if you will turn there in your Bibles. This morning we're going to look at the idea of covenant in the New Testament, or in the in the Old Testament, and then really into into the New Testament as well. We're going to start with one of the very first covenants that God made with his people in Genesis 15. Now, last week, uh, we were in Genesis 3. We looked at the fall of mankind and at the really the reason for uh, Christmas. And we, we looked at a quote from Pastor John Piper who says... Uh, Christmas is an indictment before it becomes a delight because Christmas, in order to understand our need for a Savior, we're we're forced to take a look at our sin that that creates that need for a Savior. And so we started off this Advent series a couple weeks ago looking at creation and at God's original design for uh, His people, for His planet, um, for for the universe, and, and the way that we're to interact with one another, the way we're to interact with Him. And then last week we looked at at the reason why we don't operate the way God designed us to the way God intended to and that's because sin has entered into the world and and has broken what God uh, created to be whole and so because that has been fractured we we don't uh, operate in right relationship with one another we don't walk in right fellowship with God uh, all the time our, our relationship with God is broken and, and therefore we're in need of a savior to to come, one who will set things right. And of course, we uh, would declare that that is Jesus Christ, the one who's come to set things right. But this morning in Genesis 15, we see God once again coming down and, and revealing himself to his people. Now, between Genesis 3 and Genesis 15, there's a whole lot of things that happen. So in Genesis Three, as we saw last week, uh, Adam and Eve sin against God. They, they choose to, to believe the serpent's lie and, and the lure of um, earthly knowledge, earthly power, and they, they reject God. In Genesis 4, we see the very first murder that occurs when Cain kills his brother Abel. By Genesis chapter 6, uh, we're told that the things have gotten so bad the, the, the Bible actually says God regretted making mankind. And so he chooses to essentially hit reset with Noah and his family and, and to start over with creation. So he does. Um, Noah and his family go into the ark and they and two of each animal, the Bible tells us, are, are saved in, in the ark during this massive worldwide flood where it rains for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, then they come out of the ark, and um, they're, they're, they're set to repopulate the earth and, and kind of begin again God's creation, and um, immediately things go haywire again. And it doesn't take long until wickedness sets in. Um, by Genesis chapter 11, we, we have the story of the Tower of Babel. What well, we're told is that the, the population has recovered, um, only to decide that they're going to build a tower, uh, essentially declaring how awesome they are to the whole world. Hey, let's build this tower to the sky. Um, we'll just declare to the, well, we want everyone to know how great we are, how amazing we are. And God says, I don't think so. Um, and he, we're told that he confuses their language, the Tower of Babel. That's in Genesis 11. In Genesis 12, we see God coming and speaking to a pagan man named Abram. And this is what God tells Abram in Genesis 12. This is, this is verses 1 through 3. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I want you to notice who it is that initiates this. It's not Abram saying, hey, I really need the blessing of God. It's God saying to Abram, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Through you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Um, so Abram, believing the word of the Lord, packs up everything he owns and sets out. God, uh, they eventually come to a land, and Abram's traveling with his nephew, a guy named Lot, um, and, and Abram offers his nephew Lot the first choice of the land. So, so Lot uh, looks around, and on one, one side he sees land that's beautiful and lush and green, and on the other he sees land that's a desert. And Lot says, I'll take the green stuff. Uh, so that leaves Abram with the desert. It's all right. Abram trusts that God uh, made a promise to him, that, that, he, that he's sovereign over all things, that he'll work. Um, the ironic thing about this good, luscious, green, pleasant land that Lot chose, um, that, that land included a couple of cities uh, that are called Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you're familiar with the, um, the biblical story at all, those, the cities were so wicked that God destroyed them um, by fire. So here's Abram traveling with everything he owns. His greedy nephew took the better-looking land, and here he is with this desert, trusting the Lord's going to provide. And in Genesis 15, we we see the Lord coming down and and making an incredible show of his grace and his mercy, his commitment to his people. And that's where we're going to find ourselves this morning. We're going to see what we learn about God and what we learn about the, the Christmas story in this passage, Genesis 15. So if you will, let's stand together. We're going to read Genesis 15, uh, verses 1 through 21, the whole, whole chapter. Let's stand as we honor the word the Lord's given to us this morning. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abram continued, look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, this one will not be your heir, instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? He said to him, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. So he brought all these to him, cut them in half, and laid the pieces opposite each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. Birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram, and suddenly great terror and darkness descended on him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain. Your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them, and will be enslaved and oppressed. However, I will judge the nation they serve, and afterward they will go out with many possessions. But you will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking, pot, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, "'I give this land to your offspring,' from the brook of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Kadmonites, Hethites, Perizzites, Rephaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. And we pray this morning that in the story of your covenant with Abram, we'll see your great love for us, your people, your great love for humanity, your desire to see sinners reconciled to you. That on this day, we light the joy candle. Our hearts will overflow with joy for who you are and for what you've done for us. We thank you so much for Christ Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Alright. And we have this kind of weird um, scene here, right? With, with God saying, all right, I want you to bring me, some, uh, bring me some animals and cut them in half, lay them off each other. And it's this smoking pot and, 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 a, and a torch. And it's, it, it's just weird, right? I mean, this, it, it is. It, it, maybe it seems like something out of Harry Potter rather than something out of the Bible. It's just odd. So what do we learn here? What on earth does this have to do With Christmas. Well, the first thing I want us to see is that just like last week, just like we saw last week, after Adam and Eve sinned, and they were hiding from God in the garden, we, we saw God take the initiative. God came looking for his people. And in the same way, this morning in verse 11, we see that God takes the initiative in this covenant. God takes the initiative. We, we see God speaking to, no, to Abram in verse 1. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. The Lord is the one who spoke to Abram. So just as he did in seeking out Adam and Eve, just as he did in calling Abram, just as he did in sending Jesus Christ As a baby, God takes the initiative. Now, why is that so important? Well, it's important because the Bible will declare that on our own, we would not seek him out. We are incapable of seeking him out. We see this in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Uh, Paul writes here, as it is written, he's quoting the Old Testament, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. God takes the initiative because we are unable to take the initiative on our own. He seeks us out. Now listen, that's good news. It's good news. When when I was a kid in in high school, there was a song by a a band named Delirious. And and the song kind of became like a a youth worship anthem or whatever you want to call it. Um, the, The song was called, I Found Jesus. I Found Jesus. Um, it was fun to sing. We sang it some in high school. And then, then I, as I got a little bit older and I started reading my Bible a little bit more, I realized that, wait, that, that, that doesn't really fit the, the, the Bible narrative because the, uh, the, the Bible would say, no, I, I didn't find Jesus. Jesus found me. In fact, I, I didn't find Jesus. In fact, I wasn't even looking for him. I didn't even know where to begin to look for him is what the, the Bible would say about us. God takes the initiative in seeking out his people. We find this throughout Scripture. God takes the initiative. God's the one who gets in touch with his people. You know, in, in our Sunday school classes, we're uh, using the Gospel Project. This morning we looked at, at the story of Joseph and how God um, uh, sovereignly worked in and through Joseph's life despite really bad circumstances. And yet what happens here is what what we see uh, in Joseph. We're beginning to see this fulfillment of what we just read in uh, Genesis 15, where where God tells uh, um, Abram here that, that your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them. We know now that he's talking about Egypt. How do God's people get into Egypt? Through a guy named Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers. rises to second in command in Egypt, saves the people because of a great famine, including his brothers, who sold him into slavery. And on uh, the 31st, 30th, on the 30th, we're going to see um, the we're going to begin an exodus in our small groups and see what happened over that 400 year period that God's people were in Egypt. So, so in God taking the initiative, we also see God's in control. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Don't, don't miss that in the middle of your circumstances. Because listen, we're often faced with circumstances that are less than ideal. You know what I'm coming to realize that that's called? is life. Okay? Life. I don't know, sometimes it doesn't just feel like, like, man, I feel like I'm just getting my feet underneath me, and then all of a sudden something happens, and then something else happens. I'm I'm just beginning to realize that's life on earth. None of us gets to live pain-free. None of us gets to live free from adversity. And yet, what we see throughout the Bible is God continually working in and even through adversity to accomplish his purposes. So, okay, when we find ourselves in the middle of bad circumstances, less than ideal circumstances, when when our life doesn't quite go out the way we mapped it out when we're 18 years old, what do we do with that? It's where we see the next piece of this puzzle. So what, what I have this morning, the, the way this outline is going, we have three observations and then two applications, okay? So if you're, if you're writing there in your, in your notes, just, just make, make sure you leave room for the last two things at the bottom. Um, look, at, look with me at verse 6 real quick. Here we learn that faith is the currency of heaven. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now keep in mind Abram's story here, all right? In Genesis 12, God promises Abram, Abram, you're going to be a great nation. Through you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. Now Abram's kind of getting on up there in years. He doesn't have a kid yet, but, but God made a promise, right? So God's going to keep his promise. Awesome. So, verse a few chapters later, we're several years down the road here. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your I'm your shield. Your reward will be very great. And Abram's response is, "Where you been? You gave me this promise. Let me have a child." I'm going to be a father of many nations. I'm getting older. There's no kids. Sarah's my, my wife, is well advanced in years. He doesn't call her old. Don't, don't miss that. <laughs> God, what are you doing? And yet, what God tells him here, again, you, Abram, Abram complains and says, Lord, the, the closest relative that I have as a servant in my house. That's going to be the one who, who inherits everything. Is, is that your plan? And God says, no. No. From your own body. And then he takes him outside and says, look at the stars. Count them if you can. Your offspring will be that numerous. Now, if you notice, look at what's missing here. So I think it's really interesting. In fact, our our Sunday school class had a a discussion about this this morning. Um, Oftentimes, I'm amazed by the the things that we're told in Scripture, and I'm equally amazed by the things we're not told. For instance, you you see here that that God just gives this promise to Abram. Your descendants are going to be as many as the stars. And there's no other information. Here's when it's going to happen. Here's how it's going to happen. Here's a date on your calendar. You just mark that down. A lot like he did in Genesis 12, where he just comes to Abram and says, Abram, I want you to go. I want you to pack up everything you own and you go. He's not given a GPS. He's not given a map. You just, you pack up and go and you you leave the rest up to me. What's amazing is even given this little bit of information, verse 6 tells us, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him for righteousness. Faith is the currency of heaven. The writer of Hebrews, in, uh, as he begins chapter 11, which is this, look at these great heroes of the faith. In Hebrews eleven six, 6, this is what he says, Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Listen, your possessions will not get you into heaven. Your good deeds done out of a heart that says, I need to earn God's approval will not get you there. Faith is the currency of heaven. In fact, Paul, in Romans and in Galatians, will use this, this simple verse, Genesis 15, 6, as a key verse in his understanding that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. And he'll turn around and he'll say, this is, if you look at this, this is 400 years, over 400 years before the law is given. And he's talking to people who thought they were saved because of what they did, because of their ability to keep the law. And Paul says, but here, 400 years before the law is even given, before men and women even even knew what was required for righteousness. Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him for Righteousness. Oh, that this Christmas, your faith would be stirred. And maybe even in the, in the middle of some circumstances that you didn't plan for, that you don't understand, that you would have faith that God's not done working in and through you yet. Now, we'll... We'll circle back to this in, in just a second. I don't want to get too, too far ahead of myself. Um, but in case you're wondering, I'm, I'm not sure that, that I know what it looks like to have this kind of faith. Hold that thought. You're in good company. The last observation I want us to see here is, is that salvation, salvation has always required a sacrifice. We see this in verses 9 and 10. So, he said, this is God speaking to Abraham. Bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So he brought all these to him, cut them in half, and laid the pieces opposite each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. Now, now Abraham here has to, has to make a sacrifice. There's, there's blood shed here. And he, he lays them um, opposite each other. So he would cut them cut them in half and and, and lay the two pieces with a a path in the middle. This was a common thing for, for two people making an agreement together. Before the days of written contracts, this was this was a the, the way they would enter into a binding agreement. So what happened is is uh, say you were going to buy a piece of land, and there were some some agreements that were going in that I'm going I'm to buy this from you for such and such a price, and and you're going to have your all your stuff off by this day, and then I'll have I'll be able to move my stuff in after that, and and uh, and we need to seal this. So what they would do is take these these two um, pieces, they would take animals, cut them in half, set them apart from each other, create a path in the middle and they would walk together through the middle of these sacrifices and symbolizing, it was an oath saying, may, if if either one of us breaks these agreements, may, may we be like these two, like these animals, cut in half. Makes you think pretty hard about entering into a covenant with somebody else. Right? This is what God tells Abram to do, cut these in half. And in verse 17, then goes God goes on and he makes, he, he lays out the terms of this covenant he's making with Abraham. Picking up in verse 17, then the Lord said to Abram, excuse me, verse 13, then the Lord said to Abram, know this for certain, Your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them and will be enslaved and oppressed. However, I will judge the nation they serve and afterward they will go out with many possessions. But you will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Uh, Understand what just happened. Abraham still doesn't have a child at this point. Sarah' so still not pregnant. And yet God just guarantees this oath. In verse 17, "When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, "I give this land to your offspring." God himself makes this covenant. And this covenant required a sacrifice. We talked about this a little bit last week. Um, after, after God explained the consequences of uh, Adam and Eve's fall in the garden, God took their raggedy fig leaf clothes that they had made, and God himself clothes them with skins, required a sacrifice. Here, God's covenant, God's promise to save Abraham and his people requires a sacrifice. That that should cause us to to look to the ultimate sacrifice of the cross where, where God will give himself, his only son, so that every time we sin, we don't have to go find goats or doves or bulls We can trust in the perfect sacrifice of Christ Jesus. Again, this is how the uh, writer of Hebrews puts it: Hebrews nine twenty two. According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Why did so? so Today, when we look and see, why did people ask? Why did Christ have to come? Why, Why did Christ have to die? The simplest answer is, back at the very beginning, we see this is the way God set the world to operate. Salvation requires a sacrifice. Sin created separation between us and Almighty God. And rather than to leave us separated, God sent Christ to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin once for all. So, so let me make... Just a couple of applications now, as we um, as we get close to wrapping up. Here, here's the big one. I want us to understand: God is the hero. You don't have to be. All right. God's the hero. We, we looked at this in a couple weeks ago when we read the introduction to the Jesus Storybook Bible, and um, we said the the Bible is is not a Just a book of heroes. It has some heroes in it, but they don't really act all that heroic. Sometimes they do really bad things, sometimes on purpose, sometimes they're afraid. Sometimes they're just mean. And in and through that, we see God constantly at work through imperfect people. Now here, in chapter 15, verse 6, right? We just talked about Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Wow, didn't Abraham have great faith that he would just trust in God and wait patiently on God? He would never take things into his own hands, right? To try to help God's plan along. Well, actually, in chapter 16, we see Abraham and Sarah continuing to get older and um, still no child, and so finally, it uh, tells us in chapter 16, Abram's wife, Sarah, had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarah said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her, I can build a family. You no, know, God's dragging his feet on this thing. We, we ought to help God's plan along. Hey, Abram, I have a great idea. Why don't you go sleep with my servant, Sarah, or my servant, Hagar. Maybe you can get a child that way. And Abram goes, Well, okay. (laughs) If you say so. (laughs) This creates strife that we still experience today. If you're familiar at all um, with uh, Muslim theology, Muslims will trace their line back to Ishmael. The son born to Hagar. I don't have time to get into all that. Just to say, God's the hero. You don't have to be uh, put put a be there, but our actions have consequences. Okay. But God's the hero. Listen, every every year, if you've not yet read through the Bible in a year, let me encourage you. There's some really great um, simple Bible reading plans. I mean, you can read chapters a day. You can read a couple of chapters five days a week, and still get like the big the, the big. Uh, picture of the Bible, but but let me encourage you at the very least, starting in 2019, if you've never read through the book of Genesis, let me tell you, that's a good place to start. You just take a chapter a day over the course of of about a month and a half, and and here's what you'll learn. Um, God continually works through people who are messed up. He does. God will come and speak to somebody like Abram. And they'll have these really high moments. Abram believed the Lord and credited it to him as righteousness. And then here we got to help God's plan along a little bit. God continually works through messed up people. But he still works through them. So listen, when, when I read stories um, like, like Abraham, Like Joseph, the the bratty younger brother who who got so bratty to the point that his brothers were willing to, first of all, kill him. And then then second of all, settle on just, let's not kill him, let's just sell him. Um, And and these are the same sons whom the 12 tribes of Israel are named after. Guys like David who, who have some... Wonderfully heroic battles and, and is a great model of what it means to be a godly leader. Writes most of our Psalms, this, this great hymn book that we have in Scripture, and then sees a woman bathing and says, Hey, that looks kind of nice. Commits adultery with her, and then commits murder by proxy in order to cover up her pregnancy. I see Elijah proclaiming boldly the glory of God to 450 prophets of Baal and then running away and hiding in a cave because he heard that Queen Jezebel was trying to kill him and he goes and hides in this cave after seeing this wonderfully powerful display of God's glory and might. And he finds himself hiding in a cave praying, God, if this is the way it's going to be, just kill me. If, if, if these people are being mean to me, I'm, I'm done. You just take me now. When I read those stories, do, do you know what I see? Do, do, do you know what I learn? I learn that God might just be able to use me too. I mean, if God can speak through a donkey in the Old Testament, I might have a shot here, okay? Like maybe, just maybe he can use me too. doesn't that take the pressure off? God's not dependent on you to save anybody. He's called us to share. We, we have the privilege of sharing the gospel, being a part of seeing people come to faith in Christ. But you know what? I don't have a very good track record of changing people's hearts. And I don't have to. That's not my job. My job is to be faithful, the things that God's called me to, believing that he's going to work powerfully today, just like he did in Acts, just like he did in the Old Testament, that God will still change hearts. He's the hero. You and I don't have to be. And the last thing I want us to understand is this. God's faithfulness in the past helps us to trust him now and in the future. God's faithfulness in the past helps us trust him now and in the future. That's one of the ways God uses his word so powerfully, is we have the stories of men and women who've gone before and trusted in God, however imperfectly they may have done it. We see what God can do with just a little bit of faith in him. Final time I'm going to look at this in, in Hebrews chapter 12. Um, right after chapter 11, where where this writer's run through uh, this list of, of what we would call the Hall of Fame of Faith. These, these great men and women who trusted God and who God used mightily. Well, then he gets to the beginning of chapter 12, and this is what he says. Therefore... Since we, have, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. We have a great cloud of witnesses. Both those whose stories we have recorded in the Bible. Maybe, folks, if you grew up in church, um, maybe, maybe you were blessed with godly Parents, godly grandparents, godly pastor, a Sunday school teacher who, who lived the faith out for you. They believe they get to join this chorus of witnesses cheering us on. But we have the ultimate example in Christ Jesus. The source and perfecter of our faith. He didn't just write the story. He perfected the story. Showed us what it looks like to live life. To trust in God completely. Consider him. Who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. So that you won't grow weary and give up. My my prayer for you this week as we hit this home stretch before Christmas is that you wouldn't get weary. You would keep your eyes focused on Christ. You'd remember in all of this, in everything, day in and day out, God's the hero. You don't have to be. We would trust in this God who took the initiative to come and reveal himself to us. That we might be models. However imperfectly we may do it, we may be models of what it looks like to live lives of faith in Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for... Your word, I thank you for this great story of Abraham and Sarai and uh, who trust in you despite difficulties, and even in even those moments where they fail um, to trust in you perfectly, you still honor their faith. You still work in and through them. So in those moments where we don't know what else to do, will you help us to trust you? And will you work in and through our lives with our flaws and all, and even in those, those moments where we make less than ideal decisions, will you remind us that you're a God who forgives freely, who you've cast our sin on Christ Jesus? And just because we've messed up doesn't mean it messes up your sovereign plan. So I just pray we would believe that, that we would trust you, that we would have faith when it's easy and when it's difficult. Thank you so much for Jesus Christ, for his sacrifice on our behalf. We ask all these things in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you this week.